0: When the art day gets rough, you just gotta keep on punching. And here's your Thunder Punch Daily. With Jersey Drozd. When we start out, well for a lot of us, when we decide that we want to pursue comics as a career, a lot, a lot of us, you know, I, I, even, I have to backtrack on that. Most of the people I know... The men who are my age, uh, a lot of them got uh, got bitten by the comic bug at like around the age of nine to 11, like nine, 10, 11. Uh, understanding a little bit about, you know, my age and what that means is that uh, it'd be like the early to mid 80s um, comic books comic books, the the monthly floppies were everywhere. They were on spinner racks at 7-Eleven, at convenience stores, at grocery stores. It was hard to miss them. They were advertised on television at the time. You know, like, uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers, famously, were the first comics to ever have a TV commercial, right? So, they were everywhere, and so... Almost all kids read them, or all boys. I mean, although there, at least there were some comics for girls. It's better now, okay? It's a lot better now. Thank you, manga. Thank you, graphic novel movement. It's better now. But all of that is to qualify or to give background to the statement when I say a lot of us who get bitten by the comic bug at a young age uh, tend to make our first uh, original characters, uh, which are largely just copied from somebody else's ideas, right? You see this when you see like young kids posting stuff on DeviantArt. It's like, okay, that's just Naruto, but he's got purple hair now. You know, it's part of your development. You get you get arrested by something, you get grabbed by something, and you know you don't have the experience or the skills yet to fully unbox what it is about that that's arresting you, so you just copy what you see. And you say, okay, well, this is my version of Naruto, but mine's an astronaut, you know? Uh, and that 's the beginning of the exploration towards getting to your own original ideas. This is why we shouldn 't be mean to young people who are copying something uh, it 's when they are have many, many years of experience if they 're still doing that, then yeah that 's weird uh, and that 's when we maybe want to call them out but But uh, you know when they 're just starting out that 's just part of the natural development. So why am I bringing this up? One of the art sound off prompts uh, was "Tell a story about when you were nine. It was, it's, it's not today's prompt, but it was one that I looked at and I was like, yeah, I'm going to file that away. That might be something, there might be something there, uh, that I could do. And, uh, I was reminded of, um, you know, what was I doing when I was nine? Well, I was drawing comics. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't remember. I actually, second grade is the only time in my life I remember not wanting to be a comic book artist. I wanted to be a puppeteer in second grade. Again, that's another thing about, you know, that period of time, the Muppets were super huge. Everybody wanted to be a puppeteer in 1982. Uh, I was no exception. Uh, but I did actually put on puppet shows for my class like once a week in second grade. That was actually, looking back, that's kind of cool. But, um, but it wasn't very much long after that that I was like, oh, I, I want to be a comic book artist. And the very first comic I drew was actually in first grade and it was a parody of Star Wars called Steer Wars, probably in, influenced by uh, Hardware Wars, which was a parody film that came out uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, But by the time I hit fourth grade, I was making up my own characters. And so you might want to file this one under nobody cares, but you Jersey. But I thought I'd share some of the stories about my original characters that I created when I was between the ages of nine and 11 years old. Uh, And I will say that there's actually I have uh, a comic I I lost. I used to have like a binder of like 200 characters I created when I was a kid, but I lost them in a house fire. Uh, thankfully I had a comic book that I made about those characters that I put in a time capsule at my elementary school. And when I graduated high school, my old like fifth grade teacher was like, Hey, you want this back? I was like, yes, yes, indeed I do. So I have one comic left from that time period and I scanned all the pages and I post them on my site. Um, I, I'll link to it in the show notes, but you can find it at comicsgreat.com/silver_then_and_now. slash silver then and now, um, actually there's dashes between all those words but i'll link to it in the show notes you can you can read one of my uh earliest comics so it actually it's called um silver the natural resources i'm going to get to that in a second because i want to start with some of these uh first characters that it took me some time to think of what their names were even because it's been so long since i thought about them but one of the very first original characters i ever made remember you know uh little kid big he-man fan a lot of these characters were animal people uh, with like a, like a heavy sword and sorcery slash science fiction bend to them. So the very first one was Snake Tooth. And Snake Tooth was like this weird lizard sorcerer who wore a hood and he had uh, a satchel that he could pull out, like, virtually anything he needed. Uh, probably inspired by Orko in He-Man, where he could, like, reach into his hat and pull out whatever he needed. But it was never the right thing. Snake Tooth, however, was, like, an awesome wizard. So he always could pull out anything that he absolutely needed out of that bag that he wore over his shoulder. Um, and he was, like, my main character for what then felt like a long time. Like, he was, he was going to be the guy that I wrote lots and lots of comics about. Oh, lizard man right so he wasn't just like a like a little newt walking around with a hood on it was like a a dude with like rather a lizard walking on his hind legs and i don't think he had a tail um and the hood was always over his eyes kind of like aragorn so he always looked kind of mysterious but then you know i decided to like bump up the cast and uh along came snake tooth's brother claw now claw was also a lizard man uh, but Claw's, <laughs> this is the way 9 year olds think, right? Claw's thing was, he wasn't a wizard. He was just like your standard adventurer. Oh, because Indiana Jones came out that year, right? Uh, Temple of Doom. I went and saw it in the theater that, that summer. And so Claw wore like a leather trench coat and he like had like, uh, you know, like, a, like 1930s adventurer clothes on, but with a lizard face. And, uh, his deal was he could make his, he had these clawed fingers or these big claw hands not like a pincer, but like like a a people hand, but like pointy fingers. And he could make his hands grow really big. So like, that was his power. It was his superpower. He was the 1930s adventure lizard man with growing claw hands. Um, Also, boy, this this isn't at all derivative. There was a guy called Lizard Man who upon... chanting something over his bow and arrow could turn into Birdman. So he's Lizardman, he's not so powerful, but then when he chants over this enchanted bow, he can become Birdman, he can fly. And if I remember right, he even had a talking pet. Uh, I think it was a parrot. And I don't remember what happened to the parrot when he did the incantation to turn into the more powerful character. But uh, Lizardman and Birdman, they were short-lived, though. I think I drew, like, one little story about them and uh, quickly forgot about them. And Because then it started to get more superhero-ish. Uh, and again, all these were animal people. Um, fast was, I think, uh, snake tooth's cousin. <laughs> and why were they all family? I guess when you're a little kid, you're living out in like a rural area. You don't have like a lot of like extended friendships. So maybe it's just like, cause I did wind up spending a lot of time with cousins when I was a little kid. But anyway, uh, yeah, Fastfoot was just another lizard man, but he could run really fast. Hence the name. Uh, and I think he wore like some kind of like body track suit thing. So like snake tooth, wizard, claw, 1930s Adventure, fast foot dude in like a skin tight bodysuit. Uh but then like more animal characters started popping up who weren't lizards. And I remember there was a guy named Big Mouth who was a rhinoceros that walked around on his hind legs. And his deal was get the guess. Just take a guess. His name is Big Mouth. Oh, can he shout really loud? No, he can make his mouth grow really big. Well that was that's brilliant work Jersey. Um and I was trying to remember some of the bad guys from these comics. Now, I do remember Jailbreaker because he's in the comic that I linked to in the show notes for this episode. And Jailbreaker's deal was was he was just like a, a humanoid, you know, with no face. He was just all white. And he had these black bars over his torso and head, like, like jail bars. And no prison could hold him. That was his power. Like, you can't contain him in a prison. And the bars on his suit, which were just like painted on or whatever, or stitched on, he could... Pull them off, and they could become real bars that he could use like bow sticks and fight with. Uh, which actually, that's kind of a cool idea. Uh, and then there was a guy named Zip who was uh, an arch enemy to Fastfoot. He was another speedster, but he wasn't actually fast. He was he had a time device with which he could slow down or speed up time. In which if you're going to use it, you're going to use it to slow down time so you can move fast. So yes, so while Fastfoot could actually run fast, Zip was just like a normal running dude with a time, uh, you know, like super fancy. High-tech timepiece. Uh, the leader, there were two leaders the bad guys, and I only remember the name of one of them because uh, he was a snake man. He had like a snake head, and his name was King, and he was a cobra, King Cobra, get it? Uh, and his deal was that like, like a Cobra, you know, like a, a King Cobra can like open that hood. Whenever King opened his hood, like the two flaps on the side of his head, he was invulnerable. So he always had to catch him when the flaps were closed. Which raised the question: Why not leave them open all the time? I don't remember what, if I worked in any kind of like reason as to why he would ever retract them. Maybe the muscles in the hood got tired. But there was another guy. And actually, now that I think about, it, I think King was the Cobra-headed guy. But there was this little floating robot guy who was like he was always bickering with. Probably influenced by GI Joe, because uh, at this point I would have been in fifth grade, and GI Joe was in full swing. Uh, and one of the things that's like remarkable about that show is like just how how funny the villains are in it, how they're always like every, every, series follows like this formula where Cobra commander starts out. He's in charge. His plan gets halfway through. And then his underlings who he's been bickering with for the first three episodes and the he series turn on him. They take over and in taking over, they wind up, uh, screwing up so that GI Joe can win. And so like poor Cobra commander, uh, would have won if it wasn't for the Crimson twins or Destro or the, the Dreadnoughts, uh, pick your mini series. Um, but anyway, so like I think I was uh, into this idea. Oh, am I going long? I'm going long, aren't I? Eh, no, not that long. I was into this idea of the bickering bad guys at an early age, although I wasn't aware that I was what I was doing. So like, King was the Cobra-headed guy, but then there was a guy named Cobra. So it was King and Cobra. Cobra was this weird little floating robot. He was like a triangular-shaped robot, where imagine or pyramid-shaped robot, where the pyramid uh, apex is pointing downward, and the little arms coming out of the side, and he had like this little pyramid-shaped head that rested on top of the what would normally be the base of the pyramid. And I don't remember what his personality was. I just remember he would like, you know, he and King would argue about what was the proper bad guy thing to do. Uh but all of this uh like all these characters, you know, like Snake Tooth and Claw and Fastfoot fighting against King and Cobra and Jailbreaker uh kind of fell to the wayside when I discovered what became, and when I was in fifth grade, this was my guy. This is the guy I was going to build, you know, a comics empire out of. <laughs> and that was Silver. Now, Silver was somehow the son of Claw. I don't remember how that worked. Uh, all I remember, I remember the day I came up with the idea of the character. And <laughs> this is the way, this is the way my little megalomaniac brain worked when I was 11 years old, is, uh, I had just finished watching an episode of Mork and Mindy and it was the episode where Jonathan Winters shows up as Mork's son, Mirth. And I went outside in the backyard and I was thinking about that episode and I thought, oh, Claw should have a son and his son could be this silver alien and the silver alien could have a magic glove with which he could summon, you know, warriors representing each of the uh, elements of the periodic table. I didn't know much about the periodic table, but I had like seen like an episode of Cosmos or something. So I was like vaguely familiar with it. But I remember, this is where my little megalomaniac brain was in full force, is upon coming up with this idea, sketch it out or sketch it, draw it out on a little piece of paper. And I looked up and I was like, remember this moment, because this is the moment you created something great. <laughs> I really didn't think like that. I was like, "Like you did it. You did it today. Uh, but looking back, you know, he actually is kind of a neat character. So what was Silver's deal? And this is the character... Uh, that the comic I linked to in the show notes that I did in fifth grade, that this is the main character in that comic. Uh, so Silver was a lizard, like everybody else I made, uh, but he was covered in silver metal. Um, if I remember right, he could revert to regular lizard form, but then like he could activate his metal bands, and the metal bands would like wrap around his body and protect him. It would be like some kind of armor. Uh, but he was vulnerable to water because it would make him rust. But uh, then somehow I think Snake Tooth gave him this magic glove and he puts the glove on and if he like holds the glove up, he can summon warriors from this other dimension who each have powers from the periodic table. Now, remember, I didn't know that much about the periodic table at that time. I just knew that it was this chart of elements uh, and this was probably informed by uh, comics like The Metal Men, which I was reading at that time. Uh, where you can have characters who are sort of like personifications of, you know, the the, the metallic elements tin and lead and platinum and so on. Uh, oh, that's right, Silver even had his own son named Platinum. I forgot about that. He was like his kid's sidekick. Oh my gosh! And I don't have any drawings of these characters anymore. But um, so but so instead of like like summoning oxygen or whatever, he would uh, Silver would mix the elements and they would become sort of superhero characters. So he would say like, and I remember reading in some book, like, oh, if you put uh, sodium in water, it has an explosive effect, right? And so like, I was like, okay, well, wow. uh, Sodium and H2O get combined and they start on fire and it's a guy named Track. Uh, and I remember reading something about like certain elements when they change state, they they become colder or they become hotter. I didn't know endothermic and exothermic reactions yet. I just remember reading it in some science book. Hey, kudos to me, fifth grade, going to the school library to read about chemicals so I can learn about so I can like come up with ideas for characters. At least I had that much going for me. But uh, so Fire Track uh, had a brother named Ice Track, and so they fire and ice, right? Um, and there was, other, there was other characters like there was like some kind of vapor like I remember reading about the noble gases. So there was a vapor character on the team, uh, and I think one of them appears in uh, the the comic that I linked to. But uh, but yeah, so the the original name was Silver in the Natural Resources. In 2005, actually, 10 years ago now, I did a comic with a gal named Sarah Turner, and we reinvented the idea of silver and the natural resources. And we uh, came up with the idea of calling it Silver in the Periodic Forces. Get it? Periodic table, periodic forces summons a warrior for a short period of time. It's periodic. They're a periodic force, they're a periodic warrior. Um, and Silver was the only character who remained from the original castle. So, like, I brought in this character, Silver. Um, from my youth, but like now, he's part of this thing called the Earth. Uh, what was it called? The Earth Protection Force. So it takes place in like the near future. I was trying to basically rewrite the idea for my eleven-year-old self, right? So what would what would eleven-year-old Jersey like? He would like something where it takes place approximately one hundred to two hundred years in the future. Show that it's going to be awesome in the future. And everybody's got jetpacks, and then there's monsters that are attacking us, and our brave lizard man summons his warriors to defend us against those monsters totally would have been like catnip to 11 year old Jersey. So yeah, you can get actually that comic is uh, there's two issues of it in existence. You can get them on uh, IndiePlanet.com. I'll link to those in the show notes as well. But, uh, but yeah, uh, uh, the, as I, as I work on a new comic called Boulder and fleet adventures for hire, uh, I realize that I'm kind of coming in a way I'm coming full circle in that uh, I'm still writing about animals walking around on their hind legs, fighting against monsters, um, patently absurd ideas. Not quite as absurd as Jailbreaker, although maybe, maybe. I wonder if I should pull that guy back out of the mothballs. Uh, and who knows? Maybe a character named Snake Tooth will show up. I, you know, I cannot believe how much I loved that character as a kid, and now I look back now and it's like he's just a lizard lizard with a hood. Um, but that's not to make fun of myself either, because I was I was just a little kid. So, okay, um, why did I share this? Besides the fact that it was fun for me to go down memory lane, and besides the fact that I, I was modeling this idea of, like, our first ideas are often very derivative, but there's, like, a kernel of something interesting in there that we can borrow from later on. Uh, but also because I'm just curious, like, what were your guys' very first weird characters and derivative characters? Uh you know, I, I remember uh, later on in like ele- uh, late elementary school, middle school, me and my, bu- my best friend growing up, John, we were going to do a comic series called Camo and Tiger Trap. And Camo was a guy who could blend in any surroundings. He had camouflage powers and Tiger Trap was just like this awesome ninja dude. Why was he called Tiger Trap? He didn't trap tigers. Uh, and there was another friend of mine who had a character named Diggar. He had these giant shovel hands. And he could dig really fast, but he could also clang them together to make shock waves. you know. Uh, I find that kind of stuff super, super fun. And that's one of the reasons I love working with kids because they come up with really ridiculous things like that. So I'd love to hear some of yours. Um, you know, at TweetMe, Jersey on Twitter, um, Google+. Plus. Those are the two main places where I actually check things. Uh, I go to Facebook every once in a while, but just not nearly as much as the other places. So who am I? Jersey Droz, cartoonist and teaching artist, boulderandfleet.com, Jersey on Twitter. Um, if you want to go to Boulder and Fleet today and, uh, well before you do that read silver first i'm going to link to it in the show notes and if you if you think that's funny then go check out boulder and fleet and uh reshare a page uh with a friend that would be super cool that would make me really happy and this is part of the art sound off challenge where every day for the month of november 2015 me and a bunch of other visual storytellers are sharing you know audio check-ins audio essays reflections journals about making comics making art Uh, And you can follow them all by going to twitter.com slash artsoundoff or just follow the artsoundoff hashtag. So I will be back tomorrow with another Thunder Punch Daily. Until then, remember, everybody. In today's story, Skeletor tried to conquer Eternia by using animals in an evil way. Animals, like all living things, should be treated with kindness and respect. I hope that those of you who have a dog or cat or maybe even a hamster remember that. When we have a pet, we also have a responsibility because they depend on us. But you can be sure of one thing. However much we love them, they return that love and more. Well, time for me to disappear. Bye.